Uh, so we're in the book of Ecclesiastes. If you've been around uh, for the last number of weeks, you're aware of that. We're in chapter 5 now, verse 8. And we're going to be talking about money. Maybe that's why Wes chose to be away this week. <laughs> money. It's not the kind of thing that um, the pastors like to talk about because it's so fraught with peril. But here it is. And I got to tell you something. It, this, this is extremely convicting to me personally. I, I suspect it will be for you as well. Uh, I'll I let you in on a little secret. Those of us who stand here and do this kind of thing, who, who preach a message, who, who bring a sermon like this, it's not because we've got it all figured out and solved and locked away and resolved once and for all. Now, we struggle with this stuff too, right? Uh, I like to say that, that what preaching really is is leading in listening, right? Like, I'm not actually the preacher. God is. God is the one who's speaking by his spirit through his word, and I'm taking on a leadership role right now, and what I'm leading you in is the process of listening, you know, listening to him and to what he is saying. And I just, I just want to emphasize that right now because, I'm, you know, like my wife is sitting there, and, <laughs> right? And, and I'm going to say all these things from the text and she's going to go, yeah, right. Because she knows my life, right? And some of you know my life, right? And, and if you were to watch closely, you'd be able to pick at some of the things where I'm still working on this stuff. See what I'm saying? Like, like, I'm just one of you responding to the word of God offered us by his spirit in his presence. And it, I, but, but here's, here's the thing. I want you to know, it is changing me. <laughs> you know? I am growing. Even this week, these last weeks as I've been preparing in this text, God's been speaking to me. It's had an effect, a tangible effect on my life. And I trust it will do the same for you as we reflect on this together over this, these next number of minutes. Does that sound good? Mm-hmm. I hope so. Well, actually, it sounds hard, but, uh, but it, hard is good. Do you know that? <laughs> like, that's, we're Christians. We do hard. Yeah. <laughs> we, we, we don't run away. We do hard things. And, and we do it by the grace of God as he leads us. So this is going to be hard but it's going to be good, okay? So Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 8. If you see the poor oppressed in a district and justice and rights denied, don't be surprised at such things. For one official is eyed by a higher one, and over them both are others still, The increase from the land is taken by all. The king himself profits from the fields. Whoever loves money never has money enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. This too is meaningless. As goods increase, so do those who consume them. And what benefit are they to the owner except to feast his eyes on them? The sleep of a laborer is sweet, whether he eats little or much, but the abundance of a rich man permits him no sleep. 
I have seen a grievous evil under the sun. Wealth hoarded to the harm of its owner. Or wealth lost through some misfortune. So that when he has a son, there's nothing left for him. Naked a man comes from his mother's womb. And as he comes, so he departs. And what does he gain? Since he toils for the wind. All his days he eats in darkness. With great frustration. Affliction. And anger. And then. Then I realized. That it is good and proper for a man to eat and drink. And to find satisfaction in his toilsome labor under the sun during the few days of life God has given him, for this is his lot. Moreover, when God gives any man wealth and possessions and enables him to enjoy them, to accept his lot, to be happy in his work, that is a gift of God. A grace of God. He seldom reflects on the days of his life because, because God keeps him occupied with gladness of heart. That's a pretty cool occupation, actually. <laughs> uh, what's your occupation? What do you do? Well, I, I'm a person that has gladness of heart. That's my occupation. That's pretty good. Let's aim for that. <laughs> Let's pray. Lord, uh, speak to us, because uh, as delightful as that sounds, we're pretty sure we're not there yet. So help us, we pray, by your spirit. As I was saying, Lord, lead us, speak to us, change us, help us hear what it is that you're saying through this, your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So, so the thing is, I'm just going to give it to you right off the top here. This is what we're aiming for today. This sense that grace fulfills the promise that wealth only disappoints. Grace fulfills the promise that wealth only disappoints. I've thought about that kind of principle, maybe not always in those words, but I've thought about that a lot over the course of my days, in my life. Uh, I've met people people with a lot of money, people with very little money, people who I would consider wealthy, uh, people who I might uh, consider to be in poverty. And, you know, you learn some things just from those experiences over time. I remember meeting uh, a very wealthy man in Honduras. He was a, a, a wonderful man of God, uh, a deep Christian, a man who was responding to the grace of God in, in many ways. But man had money. And I was struck by the fact that that was a hard thing for him to manage, a hard thing for him to deal with, to have all of this wealth, especially in a country or in a context where, where wealth was evidently scarce. And to, to live that out in a way that was faithful to God and honoring to him and reflective of the grace of God in his life. Hard thing. 
Hard thing to do. I, I was speaking at a conference on the east coast of the country, and then uh, afterwards they drove me for the weekend to, uh, the, to the city, San Pedro Sula, and uh, I was in this man's car, beautiful automobile. We were driving across the countryside, enjoying the, the sights and sounds of the, the unique little villages. The, uh, uh, I saw these palm oil farms. It's just farms of palm trees. That was kind of cool. Never seen that before. All sorts of interesting things. As we were getting close to the city, I noticed he was getting on his phone and uh, speaking in a, in a tone that had a kind of a sense of authority to it. And, uh, and, and a little bit later, I noticed that things had changed. He wasn't quite so carefree anymore. We were, we were approaching the city, and somehow or other, we had formed a motorcade. It was like something out of a movie. There were these black cars in front and these black cars behind, and we were part of this motorcade. And, and, and we went, and, and I, was, I could sense the tenseness in him. I, I was starting to feel more nervous. We got to his home, and oh my, <laughs> this beautiful home. But it was hard to see because there was these huge concrete walls, very, very high, with razor wire on the top. There were men with automatic machine guns, you know, on, on top of the house and at the gates. And uh, it, was, it was just a really frightening thing. We got inside the house. I met his, his teenager, beautiful, beautiful young people uh, who were never allowed outside of the house without armed guards everywhere they went. I'm thinking teenage life is hard enough. <laughs> you know? But to have to go through that, uh, having armed guards wherever you went, he was a man who loved Jesus. And uh, God had blessed him, you could say, with great wealth. But I sensed that this was not an easy thing for him. Uh, I had another experience that was a little bit similar. Uh, Karen and I were in uh, Medellin, Colombia uh, um, some years ago. And we went to, uh, we were taken for dinner to this country club, beautiful place beautiful place. Um, I didn't have my golf clubs with me, but uh, <laughs> it was this beautiful dinner at this club, and we met with this young man, and I asked him how he was, and he said he had had a wonderful day, and I asked him why his day was so great, and he, he said, well, my, my best friend's wife just came home, and I said, well, that's great. Was she on a vacation? Was she on a holiday? And uh, he said, no. She had been kidnapped for the last two years by the guerrillas and had just been returned home at ransom. Well, at least the country club was nice. <laughs> you know, we, we seem to have this idea that wealth empowers us, that, that, that the more money we have, that the easier things are going to be, that life is somehow going to, to go smoother and be less complicated because we have less to worry about because we have more money, which means we have more stuff and more things and more power because we have the money. And it seems like with, with the people I've known who have money, that in, in many ways, it's just the opposite. I think about another man that I, that I met many years ago. I, I don't know this man. I, I, I never really got to know him, but... He appeared to me to be one of the most contented people I'd ever met. He was a, a migrant tomato picker in Mexico. 
He lived literally in a cardboard home. And he led worship. He preached the word in a cardboard church. And we came down. I was leading a group of young people from uh, Richmond Baptist. And we went down. For the, this is in the 80s. And, and uh, you know, I, I felt like somehow I was supposed to feel sorry for this man because of his, his poverty, his poor estate. And yet, he actually didn't seem to be all that upset. He, he didn't seem to be all that concerned. He, he, he seemed to be at peace in his heart. And I recognized, not for the first time, not for the last time, that grace fulfills the promise that wealth only disappoints. I've had this lifelong, I'm just going to get personal now for a moment. Um, I've, I've, I've lived my life with this this love-hate relationship with money. You like that? You know what I'm talking about? Like on one hand, you know, I, I've really wanted more, you know? I, I, I believed somehow, I don't know where this comes from, just, just from some dark place in my heart, the sense that if I could just make a little more, have a little more, do a little better, that things would go easier. But then I, I recognize that, you know? I'm like, like, like I'm walking closely enough with the Lord that, that I recognize the problem with that. And I feel guilty about it sometimes. And, and, and I come to hate money as if it's evil itself. And I go back and forth between these things. Am I striking any chords for anybody here? <laughs> you know? I... I I'm not going to say that I grew up in poverty. I didn't. Mom and Dad did fine, but we didn't have a lot. We had a roof over our heads. We had food to eat, but, you know, we didn't go out to restaurants. I mean, if we were going out for a meal, that was an event, <laughs> you know? Like, I remember back in this, <laughs> when I was in school and I... Uh, it's like the early 70s and Adidas became a thing here in North America. Some of you may remember that. And, and uh, it was this new thing. I didn't even know what they were called. Uh, and, and I, but I know that the cool kids in class were wearing them. Yep. You know, and so I asked for a pair for my birthday. And, and, and I got a pair for my birthday, sort of. They, they were knockoffs. You know, they weren't the real thing. They had the three, I think actually they had two stripes and not three. You know, they were made, made out of some kind of vinyl that, that wore out, you know, and I remember running, trying to play soccer at school and, and they completely split down, you know, like, like about three months after my birthday. That was my birthday gift. <laughs> like, I'd like to tell you that having grown up with little, that, that I learned to be content like that man down in Mexico. But I got to tell you that a lot of my life has been spent 
wishing for more, maybe even asking for more, striving for something beyond what I already had. And so then, you know, we come to this passage, which is awfully convicting. Because the preacher here, Koholet, itemizes all the reasons that money can be a problem for us. There's a whole bunch of things described here. And in my heart, I know, well, not just in my heart, just in my knowledge, in my experience, I know that what he's saying is true. As he speaks about oppression and injustice, how he speaks about the problems of profit and loss, dissatisfaction, consumer culture, fashion, and capitalism, and grievous evils, misfortune, wealth lost, of the need to maintain, of the need to ensure, of the need to bequeath. The need to earn and labor and protect and control. When I first tried to tackle this text for the sake of this sermon here today, I, I, I came out with a list of about six or seven bullet points that I thought we might look at. And, and, and I was working that way, and then I just realized there's really just, in summary, a couple of things here to be concerned about or to notice in some. So in summary, the two things to notice are, are, are the way by which wealth feeds the worst parts of us. And secondly, the ways by which wealth fails the best parts of us. Feeds the worst in us and fails the best in us. The worst in us. You know, the, the problem is uh, wealth is scarce. Like, like, it seems that way anyway. I mean, there's only so much to go around, right? And so if you have something and I don't have something, it seems like the fair thing would be for you to give me what I don't have. Or, or if failing that, if you're not willing to give it to me, if you're not willing to share equally, then I have to find a way to take it from you. Competition. You know. I, or, or I have to find a way to, to increase my capacity to earn the wealth that you have so at the very least we could be equal. And because I'm worried about scarcity, I'm going to push it even further so that I have more than you so that I don't have to be afraid of you, except it doesn't really work that way because when I do find that I get more than you, that's when I really start being afraid of you because then you want what I have and you come after it, right? So I have to pr protect myself. I have to secure it. I have to, I, I have to hide it or hoard it or accumulate. I just get tired thinking about it. There's only so much of it, right? And so we, this dynamic that I just described becomes systemic in the world. Mm -hmm. right? so, so we have structures and governments and economic systems that guide the way we think about the stuff we have. Mm 
Those in power tried to preserve power. That's why we have things like class systems. You probably watched Downton Abbey. You know what I'm talking about. (laughs) People in power who feel good about themselves by, by acting kindly to those below them, but always making sure to keep them in their place. But those people... As it says, verse 8, those people have people above them. I like the way it says that one official is eyed, eyed by another. And over them both are others still. There's always somebody with more. There's always somebody more empowered, somebody else more wealthy, somebody else who can push you down and make you feel smaller than you are. And as long as we're grasping and striving and trying to get to that place where they are, we will lose the contentment that is available to us by grace. We're never satisfied. Never satisfied. Remember what, what Rockefeller said? I mentioned him a month or so ago. You know, he was next to Solomon himself. The guy this text is attributed to. Uh, Rockefeller was the most wealthy person who ever lived. And a reporter came to him one day and asked him, you know, how much is enough? Yeah, that's a good question, right? That's the kind of question we ask ourselves. How much is enough? And he quite wisely said, well, you know, a little bit more. Probably not a lot more, just a little bit. You know, if we, if we could just get to that next level, we'd be satisfied except we never are. We just never are. There's always more to grasp for. There's always more to covet, always more to drive toward. Whoever, verse 10, loves money never has money enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. And so we become consumed by these things. As Verse 11, as goods increase, so do those who consume them. No end to consumers, no end to the competition. And so those, those of us who have, we, we have to hide, we have to protect, we have to control. And what good is the things we have except you know, to feast our eyes on them? I mean, really, really wealthy people, they, you know, they put their money into... I mean, to art, or they lock it away in, in vaults, or they, you know, they, they, they buy beautiful things that empower themselves somehow, but, but there's, there's no benefit to them. Feeds the worst in us. Verse 13 says, they have seen a grievous evil under the sun. Wealth hoarded, hoarded, to the harm of its owner. The exact opposite of our intent. Wealth lost through some misfortune. That's the thing, right? Wealth is impermanent. It comes and it goes. Like you invest in a certain thing thinking that has value, but then the fashion changes and the value shifts. And we no longer have what we thought. Bitcoin, anyone? (laughs) And 
there's nothing left. And we find ourselves naked. Verse 15. Naked a man comes from his mother's womb, and as he comes, so he departs. Can't take it with you. It fuels the worst in us. It, it, I'm sorry, yeah, it fuels, it feeds the worst in us. It fails the, the best in us. The, I, I, think, I think when we are, at, we are best and most completely true to our um, creation intent, when, when we are, 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 are most, most purely who God created us to be, we are most content. Amen. Amen. You know, we are at peace. Peace by his grace. You know, peace because he has cared for us and, and we are not in need to strive. We, we don't have to contend with one another. We don't have to fight. We don't have to protect ourselves. That is when human beings are at their best and, and this pursuit of wealth undermines that contentment in a fundamental way. It fails the best aspects of who we might be in Christ. And it is. This whole challenge is, verse 16, a grievous evil. As a man, as a woman comes, so he or she departs. We come, we go. We, uh, what Shakespeare say? We, we uh, strut and fret our moment upon the stage or something like that. Do you remember that? And what do we gain? Since we toil for the wind. All our days, eating in darkness, with great frustration, affliction, and anger. Anger. Some of the angriest moments I have witnessed within my extended family have happened when we've been fussing over who's going to lay claim to what uh, after, after a loved one's death. <laughs> they didn't take it with us. We're not going to either. <laughs> Maybe we should chill. <laughs> and yet still, Still, you know, we know this, right? Like, we've all got enough. I don't care how young or old you are. We all have enough experience. I don't don't care where you came from, what what your cultural background is. We all have enough experience to know the truth of what this says. And yet, we still strive, fight, grasp, claw, do everything we can Mm -hmm. to pursue the wealth of this world. Mm -hmm. I was thinking about Jesus. Always a good thing to do. Jesus did not appear to have any money. Like, I think about that. You know, it's not something I think about often. But, but you know, as they went about their, their way, like, you know, like, like who paid for lunch? <laughs> you know? Like, 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 I don't think Jesus had a uh, Visa card. <laughs> you know? Like, as, they, as they went about their life, like, like the man did not have stuff. He did, I, I don't imagine him dragging along a roller board suitcase, you know. Like, 
Like he had no home. No, the scripture says no place to, to lay his head. You know, even foxes had holes and things like that. But Jesus said, I mean, he just, just went from day to day. And, and, and it was like, remember what he said about worry in Matthew chapter six, where he talked about uh, how, how much anxiety we have over these sorts of things. And he says, we're supposed to be like the lilies, you know, who don't, of the field, or the birds of the air, who, who, who don't, you know, store things up. They don't have bank accounts. They don't have visa cards. They just, they just exist. And, and God takes care of them. And that's exactly how Jesus lived. Exactly how he lived. Of course, you know, he, he was the son of the father uh, who owns the untold wealth, you know, the cattle on a thousand hills, the wealth of every mine, you know. Shoot, that reminds me of a song we used to sing in church. Some of you might remember. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills, the wealth in every mine. He, yeah, yeah, he owns the rivers and the rocks and the rills. I don't know what a rill is, but he owns it. <laughs> you know? The sun and stars that shine, wonderful riches more than tongue can tell. He, this is cool. He is my father, so all of that is mine as well. <laughs> he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. I know he'll, he'll care for me. It's a, it's a strange kind of accounting to, in one sense, have everything. But in another sense, in a temporal sense, have nothing. And yet to know the most profound contentment in all of that. Do you remember that, that other man who came to see Jesus, the rich young ruler we call him? I mean, he had it all going for him, right? He was rich. He was young. He had his whole life ahead of him. And, and he was in leadership. He was a ruler. He was empowered. So in a wealthy, empowered young young man, I, I see a lot of those guys downtown. <laughs> you know, in their nice suits, you know, they've got the world by the tail. And yet, you know, I've known some of those folks, and and uh, it's not always all that it cracks up. To, it's cracked up to be. It's pretty hard to to live life on that level. I, so so this particular guy, he realizes that there's something wrong, something missing, something that has to do with goodness, you know, and eternity. And so he comes to Jesus, which is a good move. Right? He comes to Jesus and he asks this profound question. He says, good teacher, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? Okay, and see, so Jesus looks into his heart. He recognizes the hold that, that, that wealth has on this man. And he says, here's what you need to do. Sell everything you have, give it to the poor, then come follow me. Well, that young man, uh, I think, was prepared to write a check. But that was a little rich, even for his blood. Because his wealth was the substance of his identity. And Jesus understood that, and that's why he called for it. (laughs) He says, unless you're willing to give up your identity and rest in mine, uh, you, you won't truly have received the grace that I'm offering you. And that's pretty convicting. Because a lot of us, 
like to just keep things in their compartments, right? You know, I'll pay my tithe. I'll show up on Sunday. I'll give you this piece of my life, but this other part I want to keep to myself. And, 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 and Jesus says, no, just like you need to bring it all. You need to, to live in your heart of hearts the way that I'm living and showing you how to live here, content and at peace in the God that provides and not striving and scraping for every little penny. That's tough. Then we come back to Ecclesiastes. And I'm very relieved that the text doesn't end with verse 17 on, on that note of anger. It's, it's encouraging that we can keep reading. By the way, whenever you're studying scripture, that's just a really good rule of thumb. Just keep reading. <laughs> you know, when you, when you struggle with something, when you find something hard, keep reading. Verse 18, I realized something. I realized that it is good and proper for a man to eat and drink and to find satisfaction in his toilsome labor under the sun during the few short days of life God has given us. Oh, thanks for that. Thank you for that. <laughs> like, actually, I really appreciate that clause, right? Because that, like, yeah, we only have a few days, right? And I need to eat, right? I really do. I, I, it, it, I understand Jesus walking the earth and all of that. That was his calling. But like, I need a roof over my head. I know roofs in Vancouver are very expensive. But I might be wrong, but I'm pretty sure that none of us slept under the stars last night. And we could thank God for that. You know, just thank him for that. Like, it's a good thing. It's a good thing to have enough, to, ha to, to have what you need to, to eat for the day. You know, like, here's another thing. How God leads us, you know, the, like the Bible, it, it says the, the word of God is like a light unto our feet and a lamp to our path. Sometimes I read it, and I, what I'm thinking it means, like it's this great massive searchlight that illuminates everything so I can see everything in front of me and understand all of the implications of all of it. I mean, sometimes, but it's more often like a flashlight, you know, just enough light for the next couple of steps, right? And, and, and it's true with this, this money thing as well. Like, it, it's not like God is just going to say, here, let me show you how I'm going to fund the next 30 years of your existence on the planet. He didn't do that. He says, here's what you need for today. And, and that ought to be enough, right? It's not, I was so relieved when I realized this, when I was studying this passage. Money isn't evil. You know, we, we, there's that verse we, we often think about, and we, and we think it says money is the root of evil, but no, it says the love of money is the root of evil. Money is just an instrument, right? It, it's just... It's just a way of counting. Like it's, it's, it's not evil in itself. In fact, when God, we keep reading, when God gives wealth, verse, verse 19, when God gives any person wealth and possessions 
and get this, enables them to enjoy these things, to accept their lot, to be content, to be happy in our work. This is a gift of God. It is his grace given to us. The wealth that we have and the ability to enjoy it and appreciate it is a gift of God's grace to us. You understand grace, right? Grace is not deserved. You don't get grace because you've worked real hard. You don't get grace because you're super smart. You don't get grace because you're beautiful. You don't get grace because you're amazing. You get grace because God is. He's amazing. He's beautiful. He's powerful. And he gives out of that good things to us of his grace. Grace fulfills the... But when we receive it like that, when we receive grace like that, that, that just makes contentment easy. We can rest easy. We know that he's got us. We're in his hand. He can handle it. It's all good. We don't have to strive. We don't have to compete. We don't have to fight. We don't have to make ourselves look awesome. We're just held in his hand by his grace, and that's enough. It's enough. It's beautiful. Grace fulfills the promise that wealth will only ever disappoint. So, so what is money anyway? Like, this is, I, I, I used to think that money was like paper, you know, like, like bills or, or coins, you know, metal. Uh, then I learned that, that money is plastic, you know, but, but now I know that it's not even just plastic, it's, it's actually just sort of electronic impulses, you know, like, like you, you, you might think you have some money in the bank. Does anybody think you, you got money in the bank? So, so go to the bank. This, this could be fun. Go to the bank tomorrow and ask to see your money. <laughs> I'd just like to see my money, please. Here's the surprising thing. They don't have it. <laughs> you know, like, like, like not, in, not in paper or coinage or anything like that. What they have is a computer. You know, with electronics, they have, they have the number they can show you. It's not like when you're kids, we read that Scrooge McDuck, you know him? And, and, and you remember that? And he would go into the vault and play in his money you know, and swim in it and build castles out of his coins and, you know, play in his... That doesn't exist. You know? there, there is no money. It's, it's just numbers. It's just electronics. It's just... It's nothing. It's just, what it is, I suppose, is, is, is a quantification of the amount of power that we have in the culture. You know, it, it, you know, if you have a big enough number, you can buy something or not. You know, like, like, for a lot of people, you know what money is? It's a scoreboard. It's just a number on the board up above everybody's head uh, telling you whether or not you're winning. And that's kind of pathetic. So if you want to think about money as a scoreboard, let me suggest to you what you might actually want to be scoring. And this is where it gets hard. Because there is nothing like money 
to show you what's really going on in your heart. You want to, like, like we go along through our lives as Christians. We, we want to think we're doing okay. We're, we're, we're pretty good. We're, we're faithful. And we probably are to some degree. But if you want to know what's true of you before God at the level of your heart, look at how you're handling your money. How submissive are you? Well, how defensive do you get when it looks like somebody's coming after what you believe you own? How protective are you of your income, of your uh, financial dignity? If somebody next to you gets a raise and you don't, and you felt you deserved it, how, how does that drive you to act in your heart? Sorry, it gets a little close to home for me. Like, how much do you really love people? Well, how quick are you to offer them the things that, that, that you have that they could use or need? How tightly do you grasp the, the, the money that you have? How, how generous are you with, with your hands and with your heart? What do you value in life? I don't know. What do you spend your money on? Most likely, the things that you spend the most on will be a pretty good clue to what it is that you value the most. At least that's true for me. So, it's hard, right? Wealth promises all kinds of things. We, 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 we. We think it will empower us. We think it will make us feel better. We think it'll help us achieve the things that we want. And the irony is the more we grasp it, the less we have of the things that we actually want. So maybe we should just quit (laughs) striving. Maybe we should start trusting Mm -hmm. and receive the grace that, 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 provides the promise that that wealth only disappoints. The reason that guy in Honduras came to mind uh, for me this week was a few weeks ago when I was in South America, I was having dinner with another friend who also knew this same guy. And so he came up in conversation over dinner. Well, my friend in Colombia is not a wealthy man. He is the quintessential starving musician. You know, this starving artist. He's, he makes wonderful music. He perf- sings and leads worship all over South America. He's a beautiful, beautiful guy. And I just, I just love every moment I have spent with him over the years. And, uh, and yet he has nothing. 
He really, he's got his guitar <laughs> and his music and, that's, and his family. Actually, he has quite a bit. But as the world counts these things, he has nothing. And I look at these two guys, this man in his castle behind his walls with his, all his money, and this other man with his guitar and his music, and that's about it. And both of them love Jesus. Both of them are living by the grace of God. And both of them know it. And the money just doesn't seem to matter. Grace fulfills the promise that wealth will only disappoint.